All right, all right. Welcome to the Newsmax Daily for Thursday, February the 8th, 2024. It's the second of five Thursdays this month, the 50th day of winter, by the way, with 40 more to go until spring. And topping the news today as tensions continue to escalate in the Middle East, a U.S. drone strike in the Iraqi capital of Baghdad has killed a high-ranking commander of Hezbollah, or Hezbollah, said to be responsible for planning and participating in recent attacks on American troops within the region. That according to top U.S. military officials. The heavily guarded green zone there in Iraq, where a number of diplomatic compounds are located, including the U.S. embassy, was closed off after social media postings urged protesters to storm the U.S. embassy. This is Newsmax senior correspondent John Huddy. This is a big deal. This is a big takeout by U.S. forces taking out this senior commander of Kataib Hezbollah. Uh, the strike was carried out, by the way, this evening local time in Baghdad, in Baghdad's Mashtal neighborhood, which is in the eastern part of the city. You can see the vehicle there uh, that was carrying three Hezbollah commanders. Uh, and the vehicle was used by Iraq's popular mobiliz- mobilization forces, PMF, which is a state security agency comprised of various armed groups and Iranian proxies, proxies and militias fighters, including Kataib Hezbollah. Now, U.S. Central Command posted a message on X reading that at 9.30 p.m. Baghdad time, which would be 1.30 p.m. local time, U.S. Central Command forces conducted a unilateral strike in Iraq in response to the attacks on U.S. service members, killing a Kataib Hezbollah commander responsible for directly planning and participating in attacks on U.S. forces in the region. And then it goes on to say there are no indications of collateral damage or civilian casualties. Now, what we're hearing, the Associated Press also reporting that uh, among the three Hezbollah commanders killed, one of them, Wassam Mohammed Abu Bakr al-Said, was also killed. He is the commander of Kataib Hezbollah's operations in Syria. So that is a, that is a very high-ranking uh, Kataib Hezbollah commander, again, responsible for attacks on U.S. forces in eastern Syria, in Iraq, including the Al-Tamf military base just across the border from Jordan in Syria, which is what Tower 22, the military outpost that was hit yeah. by that suicide drone, it basically is a logistics center and outpost that you know provides uh, support for Al-Tamf base. So, you know, the U.S. has been going after Kataib Hezbollah, has been going after the Islamic resistance of Iraq, which claimed responsibility for that drone strike. But U.S. officials, Carl, have also said that Kataib Hezbollah, it looks like, was involved in that as well. My question is if possibly Israeli forces may have been working with the United States in this strike because they, too, have been going after Kataib Hezbollah for years, even prior to October 7th, Carl. Some things in the fog of war we just don't have the right to know until after it's been carried out. Appreciate it, John. You bet. Newsmax senior correspondent John Huddy with former Navy SEAL Carl Higby, host of Frontline. And it is great to have Huddy back home safely after several weeks on the ground reporting on the Israel-Hamas war, which is also one of the day's big stories. This after Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected Hamas's terms for a potential ceasefire that also called for the release of hostages on both sides, Hamas hostages and Israeli hostages. This is former acting director of national intelligence Rick Grinnell on Newsline with Bianca De La Garza. Obviously, uh, total victory against Hamas is what Netanyahu wants. That's why he's rejecting it. And he says it is actually 
the only solution and within reach. What do you make of this breaking development and the rejection by Israel? Well, first of all, let's start from the premise that Hamas is still holding uh, hostages, mm -hmm. innocent people that they grabbed. Many of uh, them are Americans. And I think that our Secretary of State should be solely focused on this issue. We should first get the hostages freed. Hamas should give up the hostages before you're going to have any discussion of a deal. What Hamas is trying to do right now is say, we'll give up some of the hostages if you give us Palestinian prisoners. Uh, these individuals who the Palestinian Authority and Hamas is asking for are convicted criminals who went through a judicial process, a free and fair judicial process in Israel, to be convicted of a crime. And so the two cannot be uh, equal. And for anyone, including Anthony Blinken, to somehow assume that this deal is a good deal because the two sides are morally equal is really troublesome. What our Secretary of State needs to do is park himself in Doha and go to the Qataris and say, I'm not leaving on my plane. I'm sitting here until I bring the American hostages home. Make We've no mistake. Him, Qatar can, yeah, can do this if we make it an issue. He hasn't stayed, as, as you just alluded to, but he has gone back five times. So it, we know this is also pressing for Joe Biden's reelection bid, sir. You know, we have about a minute left in the program. Uh, with American hostages being held, like you said, and some say there's actually intel that is being held back that we know they know more than they're even sharing. Look, the pressure point is to get the hostages released, and then we can talk about how to solve some of these problems. But, but the focus should be release the hostages before we even talk to you. That's where Blinken is, is mistaken. He can't go and pressure Netanyahu to kind of cut a deal when uh, the Israelis have hostages, the Americans have hostages, the American Secretary of State should be focused on the American hostages. And there is one country that can actually help here by putting pressure on Qatar, go and get our hostages free. Then we can have a discussion about how to improve the lives and the situation in the, in the region. Former acting director of national intelligence, Ambassador Rick Grinnell, and while we were sleeping, Secretary of State Antony Blinken did leave the Middle East for the fifth time with no ceasefire deal in place and made this comment to reporters. Of course, we're, we're intensely focused on the hostages and uh, determination to bring them home to their, their families. Basically, Netanyahu refused the deal because Hamas wanted Israel to release thousands, thousands of prisoners, along with other concessions, in return for the release of some of its hostages, again, some of whom are Americans. Yesterday, there was also reports indicating that as many as 30 of the 130 or so hostages held by Hamas may be dead. But again... They wanted Israel to release thousands of hostages, and they weren't even going to release all 130 that they have, assuming the 130 are still alive. And back here at home, the wreckage of a U.S. Marine helicopter that departed Creech Air Force Base outside of Las Vegas on Tuesday night has been found in the mountains outside of San Diego. The chopper, a CH-53 Super Stallion, was on its way to Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego. Multiple reports this morning say there is no evidence as of now that any of the five Marines on board survived the crash.
This is the latest in a string of deadly military mishaps over the last few months. And in Washington, the battle over securing the U.S.-Mexico border and a funding bill continues on Capitol Hill today. You may have seen Florida Senator and former Governor Rick Scott speak out against the border bill on the Senate floor yesterday. He also spoke with Bob Brooks and Katrina Zish on American Agenda. Hello, Senator. Thanks for coming on. You know, thank you. I mean, it was so simple. What we wanted was a border bill. We got an immigration bill. And then Chris Murphy, the senator that negotiated on the Democrat side, put out immediately after the bill, the checks came out, the border will never be closed. Wait a minute. That's not, that's what we wanted the opposite. So it was a bill that we couldn't support. And fortunately, uh, they didn't get closure today. Uh, so now Schumer's going to try to do another bill that would just eliminate that. So, so what he wants to do is he wants to provide security money for Ukraine to secure their border, but not help us secure our border. I, I mean, I just think it makes no sense. Okay, again, just to, to back up a little bit, just for some who might not know, and you referenced it, it was just announced that that bill is officially dead after a test vote in the Senate, a, a Senate, of course. And so again, a dead on arrival there, but you're saying that Schumer wants to resurrect something that's solely an aid bill. Just want to understand that. So it went from saying yeah. from so, the uh, especially the House saying, OK, let's do this bill where we combine our border and helping other countries. But now it's just back to, I'll say, business as usual in the Senate with Democrats saying, well, let's just go back to funding the war in Ukraine. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Here's the, here's the deal. We want to have a secure border, right? Many people want to help Ukraine. Now, they might only want to do lethal aid. They want to make sure we're not doing humanitarian aid and making sure money doesn't go to places like Hamas. But a lot of people want to help Ukraine. But we're not going to help Ukraine and borrow money, right, if we don't secure our border. Our border is the clear and present danger. As, as the director of the FBI said, we have terror cells around our, around our country now. I mean, think about when you have over 8 million people, many of them single uh, men, uh, to come into to our country, what do you think the chances that we're not going to have some security problems? It could be a terrorist attack. It could be more crime. We know we have more drugs. We have more human traffickers. We have more criminals. We have more terrorists. This is a recipe for disaster for our families. I am not going to support a bill unless it secures the U.S. border. That's Florida Senator Rick Scott on American Agenda, who says ultimately one of two things has to happen. Either we can just wait and get Donald Trump as president. He'll secure the border he did before. If we want to do it now, we've got to do something that Mitch McConnell said he wouldn't do. Uh, but what we a lot of us wanted, we have to say, Biden wants Ukraine aid. If he's going to get Ukraine aid, it's going to be tied to the numbers uh, come across the border and stay and come down to the Trump numbers. Uh, you could, I mean, that's all doable. Biden could do it today because the open border was caused because Biden did all these executive orders to open uh, to open the border. I don't get it. I don't know why he doesn't care about drugs and terrorists and criminals and things like that. But that's where it is. We don't need a bill, except the only way Biden is going to do his job is if we hold Ukraine aid hostage to a secure border. Good to see my man, Rick Scott, one of my senators on Newsmax. And that pretty much sums up where Republicans are at. 
the only way President Biden is going to do anything on the border is if Republicans hold Ukraine aid hostage. Senator Scott is one of few politicians there on the Hill that is in favor of term limits. In fact, he's introduced multiple bills for term limits, which, as you would imagine, are not too well received. When he was the governor of Florida, much like Donald Trump, he's a businessman that went to Washington to try and fix things. Uh, But when he was the governor, he uh, sold off the governor's plane, put the money back in the state coffers, and used his own private plane to fly around the state. He also, I believe, didn't take a salary. And it's a huge day at the Supreme Court as justices hear former President Trump's appeal to remain on the 2024 ballot, likely the most consequential election case since Bush versus Gore back in 2000, 23 years ago. More from Greta Van Susteren. Tomorrow, the United States Supreme Court will hear arguments over whether or not former President Donald Trump is eligible to remain on Colorado's 2024 presidential ballot. As you know, back in December, Colorado Supreme Court, in a closely divided decision, four to three, affirmed the lower court's decision to kick Trump off the state's 2024 ballot. The Colorado court relied on its interpretation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. That amendment reads, any member of Congress or officer of the United States who takes an oath to protect the Constitution and then engages in insurrection cannot hold office. In this case, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump engaged in insurrection on January 6th, making him ineligible to run for office. So then what happened? Well, Trump is now asking the United States Supreme Court to reverse that Colorado ruling. The former president is not expected to attend the oral argument and instead will be at his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. According to CNN, Trump will start the day off in Florida and then head to Nevada for his expected caucus victory party. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus and Newsmax legal analyst Alan Dershowitz joins me. Good, good evening, Fresh Dershowitz. Before we get to the constitutional issue, um, the court threw him off for insurrection. He has not been indicted for insurrection in Washington, D.C., despite what everybody thinks. But the special counsel has never indicted him for that and could have. Yet that's why Colorado bumped him from the ballot. So let's start there. What do you think? Well, yeah, and that fits into Section 5 of the uh, 14th Amendment, which gives Congress the power to basically define and implement uh, Section 3. And Congress could have easily said, well, you need a conviction or you need an indictment, or they could have said, no, all you need is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So there's Section 5. There's also the text of the Constitution itself. It doesn't mention the president of the United States. It goes out of its way to mention electors of the president or vice president, but not the president. The general rules of how you interpret statutes require that when there's a lot of specificity and somebody's left out, that you generally interpret the statute to indicate that the framers intended to leave that person out. And that makes all the sense in the world that when you have the highest office in the country, you don't disqualify uh, a person from running who has millions and millions of voters who want to see him. So I think the court will find a textual narrow way of saying that a president can't be without congressional authorization uh, just taken off a ballot. Newsmax legal expert and Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz, this will be in focus throughout the day. This is huge or potentially huge. And as Greta mentioned, today is the Republican caucuses in Nevada, which the former president will basically automatically win because the only other candidate, Nikki Haley, is not on the caucus ballot. 
We've talked about this a couple of times of this weird thing with the uh, primary. Trump wasn't on the primary ballot. Then they have a caucus. Nikki Haley's not on the caucus ballot because she should only be on one or the other. She didn't want to be in the caucus because she said it was designed for Donald Trump to win. Of course, this comes after Tuesday's primary where Haley was on the ballot and was 33 percentage points behind the choice of none of these candidates. The ballot consisted of Nikki Haley, who got 30%, Mike Pence, 4%, Tim Scott, 1.4%, and John Castro, who received less than 1%. The choice of none of these candidates got 63.3% of the vote. More from Eric Bowling. And here now to assess why Nikki Haley is staying in the race after her embarrassing defeat in Nevada is Arizona Senate candidate Carrie Lake. I I don't know. I'm not sure you're going to have an answer for me, uh, Carrie, but why in the world? Well, you might. This may be about money. So tell us why you think she's still in this race after that embarrassing defeat last night. I don't know. I mean, it's sad because it's like she's hoping for the worst. I I don't know what she's planning for, but it's so obvious this primary is over. It's been over for a long time. We've allowed Nikki to kind of continue on with this vanity project, but the people are firmly behind President Trump. They don't want anybody else. And it's, it's really time for her to drop out and get behind President Trump and and help us to defeat Joe Biden and his radical policies that are destroying our country. I think it's pretty simple. Do you think it's I mean, you're giving her the benefit of the doubt that she's really in it to win it when, you know, there are smart people on campaigns, as you know, that were probably telling her you're not going to win this. It feels to me like there's there's something bigger here, almost like she's being told to stay in the race and being supported financially to stay in the race by some groups that are anti-Trump, not necessarily pro-conservative. Well, we saw this with other candidates who were hoping for the worst to happen to President Trump. And as I've said before, you know, even if he were sitting in Alcatraz, the people of this country will vote for President Trump. We know a witch hunt when we see it. And it's as if she's waiting for the worst to happen. But our message to Nikki Haley is, Nikki, we've given it your, your college try. Uh, the people have indicated in very, very strong form that they don't want you for president. And it's time to drop out, get behind President Trump, and let's work together to turn this mess around and get our country back. She can't even name one state that she believes she can win. That, to me, is a very strong indicator that it's time for her to uh, bow out, bow out as gracefully as possible, and uh, come on over and help us save our country. Yeah, I'm just, I, I, it, I just doesn't feel like she's in this because she thinks she's going to win. I think she's being supported for some reason to, to you know, undermine the the. the the Trump vote for for whatever reason. Arizona Senate candidate Kerry Lake on Newsmax with Eric Bowling. Democrat candidate Marianne Williamson announced the end of her long shot challenge to President Biden. The 71-year-old one-time spiritual advisor to Oprah Winfrey contemplated suspending her campaign last month after getting just 5,000 votes in New Hampshire's primary. She wrote that she had to decide whether now is the time for a dignified exit or to continue on our campaign journey. Well, she continued on, and she won 2% of the vote in South Carolina, nearly 3% of the vote in Nevada, and has now suspended her campaign. Minnesota Rep. Dean Phillips, he's the last Democrat still running against Biden. And the big story on Wall Street today is earnings, specifically Disney earnings. The Disney Corporation reported revenue of $23.5 billion. That was just shy of the $23.6 billion that analysts had expected. And again, 
quarterly earnings are for the quarter. $23.5 billion for three months. And again, just shy of expectations. But they earned $1.22 per share versus the estimate of $0.99 cents a share. That's considered beating it by a mile. Disney shares up about $8 at the open, while the markets across the board were slightly lower at the open. And on the calendar of made-up holidays, February 8th today is Opera Day. It's not clear exactly when Opera Day was established, but the art form and musical genre of opera itself dates back to the 1600s in Italy before spreading across Europe to Russia. Today is also National Kite Flying Day. I'm not sure that that many people in many areas of the country will be flying a kite in February, but it is the only day of the year regardless of where you live, that it is acceptable for you to tell your boss to go fly a kite. And be sure to keep up with all of the news on Newsmax all day long and make sure you're getting Newsmax Plus. Go to NewsmaxPlus.com, sign up for your free trial if you don't already have it. Newsmax Plus includes all your favorite shows, The Balance with Eric Bowling, The Record with Greta Van Susteren, Rob Schmidt Tonight, Greg Kelly Reports, analysis from people like Alan Dershowitz, Carrie Lake, Governor Mike Huckabee, and others. I'm Tony Marino. Thank you, as always, for checking out the Newsmax Daily. Share it with your friends and family. Enjoy the rest of your day and keep on fighting the good fight. News breaks every minute. Every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere.